If I had a million dollars, if I had a million dollars, well, I'd buy you a house. I would buy you a house. For the love of money, Hi Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein. Talk Radio, AM 640. Good morning, Toronto. AM 640, Hi Fi Radio. Wolfgang Klein, your host, Jack Hartle, here to help the cause. Got a great show lined up for you today. We're going to speak with the Deputy Chief Economist at CIBC World Markets, Mr. Benjamin Tall, followed by a lesson in crowdfunding. Gentleman Richard Ramillard from Private Capital Markets Association is going to teach us all about crowdfunding. And we're going to end it off with a trip down Consumer Lane with Camillo Lyon, uh, Canaccord's very own retail analyst. And so much has changed in the scape of retail. We're going to learn what has been Amazon and what's going to survive. But without further ado... Deputy Chief Economist, Mr. Benjamin Tall, live on this Saturday morning on Hi-Fi Radio. Thank you, sir, for joining us. Thank you. A pleasure. Yeah, so it's been quite the week. Um, yeah, here we are. Uh, TSX it hit a record high. Uh, what do you make of that getting above 16,000, Benjamin? Yes, first of all, we are catching up. Yeah, you know, Canada was the best performing uh, economy uh, in the OECD and the worst uh, stock market. <laughs> so we are catching up. Uh, a lot of it has to do with financials and a lot of it is actually short covering uh, of uh, banks, mostly by uh, global investors. So it was really more technical than anything else, but we'll take it. So uh, I think that this... Uh, short covering aspect is coming to an end. So I think that the next leg will be much more difficult. We'll have to show some earnings and all kinds of other things. But clearly, Canada was simply catching up uh, with the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's funny because those Canadian banks were certainly under pressure last year. The Americans were just shorting the you-know-what out of them. Uh, so you believe that position remained into this year and they finally covered those positions, eh? Exactly. You know, I've been uh, spending many, many hours with American investors uh, trying to short uh, the Canadian housing market and therefore Canadian banks uh, over the past year, especially after the... um uh, the home capital saga. And you know what? Uh, it's amazing. Uh, you, you know, hedge funds, big, big investors, the bigger you are, the less research you do. They mm-hmm. basically invest on themes. And you know what? They come to Toronto, they, they, they count cranes, and they say, okay, short uh, Canada. Uh, this was an uneducated trade that they paid heavily for, and now they're covering it. And of course, they had to pay the dividends as they kept shorting those stocks, and that was obviously costly to them as well. Uh, it's very interesting because I'm actually re- just finishing up the book Jack gave me, uh, The Greatest Trade Ever, uh, the, the book about Paulson making billions of dollars betting against the U.S. housing market. And again, I, I learned how difficult it is when you find something that is overvalued. It cannot necessarily be so easy to short it, uh, i.e. If, we th- if, if global investors think the uh, Canadian housing market is overvalued. They figured they could short the Canadian banks uh, because they would obviously have some pressure on their uh, balance sheet. That obviously didn't come to fruition, and they had to run for cover. Uh, so let, let's talk about something else that's very important to Bay Street. Uh, technically speaking, Jack and I are seeing a turn in crude. Suncor's breaking out. CNQ looks better. Even the index XEG is trying to get back up in and around its 200-day moving average. Uh, so what's your call on oil in here, Benjamin? Yes, energy is definitely the story. It's better than expected. But I think uh, I will not uh, really start celebrating too much. Uh, this is not the beginning of something big in oil. I think that at, at about 52, 53, that's more or less where we're going to stay. Why? Because of uh, shell oil, because of U.S. production. The minute you reach 55, these guys wake up and production is rising. And that's why we have seen this ping pong game between like 45 and 55 over the past uh, year or so. Because whenever you reach this zone where the American 
returns are much more comfortable in and they start producing, uh, you will see prices going down a little bit. So I think that the next leg to, let's say, 60 is much more difficult to achieve. Uh, I think that we have one more year of this game between 45 and 55, and then I think we'll start reaching um, 60, 65, uh, simply because of uh, demand will be relatively strong, and um, the marginal cost of uh, shell oil is starting to rise because the low hanging fruit are not there anymore. Mm -hmm. So that's where I see prices actually rising, but not over the next 12 months. Hey, Benjamin, it's Jack here. Uh, You were talking about speaking with U.S. investors about the Canadian financials. Is there any interest with the U.S. investors on uh, Canadian oil, just with the, the weak dollar that we have? Absolutely. I think that you look at the overall situation, and Canada is uh, looking uh, good when it comes to oil. But of course, everything, everything is about NAFTA. So they don't want to do anything given the uncertainty about NAFTA. And um, I think that when it comes to Canadian uh, oil, at the end of the day, yes, we will be producing a little bit more, and oil prices will go up a little bit. But at the end of the day, I think that it's all about how much uh, value or added value you add to our operations. Uh, because, quite frankly, we simply don't have the pipeline infrastructure that we need, and production from the U.S. will continue to rise. So we are going to rethink our energy strategy uh, in terms of just shipping or maybe adding some value to our products. Hmm. What, do, what do you think of pipes in here? I'm seeing, obviously, weakness in Enbridge. Traps held up, but uh, certainly the pipes are challenged. Capital is leaving. Projects are getting mothballed. Uh, is it a place that Canadian investors can still hide? Yeah, that's a tough one because I think that the pipeline story is more challenging than before. You know, Keystone, we know the story. We know that the East story. So we, are, from a long-term perspective, I see a situation which many uh, Canadian um, producers will be sitting on a lot of assets that will be almost worthless simply because of the fact that they will not be able to ship it and the marginal cost of getting them out will be relatively high. So I'm a bit defensive yeah well you'd be in the same camp as our good friend Rafi Uh, we have Benjamin Tal on the line Deputy Chief Economist CIBC World Markets we're going to do what we do every six or seven minutes pay the man and we're going to come right back more with Benjamin Tal right after this don't go anywhere there's more great show right after this you're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from the AM640 studios in Toronto Radio with Wolfgang Klein. Talk Radio AM 640. Well, good morning. Hi-Fi Radio here. Benjamin Tall on the line. Interesting what uh, Getty was writing about, eh? Just the changing landscape. Uh, you know, more and more urbanization. Uh, Brad Lamps says less subdivisions, more downtown living. Shopping malls being Amazoned. And in the back of cars, well, I guess they're going to be electrified one day, aren't they? Uh, Benjamin Tall, uh, tell us, NAFTA. Um, you, you're touching on it a little bit with respect to oil, but uh, I think there has been a conclusion in terms of lumber. Looks like a Canadian producers are going to be slapped with about a 20% tariff. Some of it's anti-dumping. The rest is just a, a regular tariff. Um, do, do you think it's a fair outcome? 
Well, I don't know if it's fair, but uh, you know what? It's not about fair. It's about Trump wants out. That's what it is. You know, I think that we can uh, argue until we are blue in the face that uh, all this uh, tariff business is negative for the U.S. and killing NAFTA is going to be terrible for the, to the U.S. Well, you know what? That's not uh, the issue. That, it's not about logic. It's about he wants out. And I think that the market is in la-la land when it comes to NAFTA. You look at the volatility in the Canadian dollar, in um, the Mexican peso, like nothing is happening, yeah? And you know what? Something yes, you know, it's, you're right, because I'm seeing West Fraser Timber continues to plow higher. All the lumber stocks are going higher. Magna, the stock that Jack's very keen on, uh, plows higher. So I'm saying, gee, the market's taking this in stride. It's saying, ho-hum, no big worry. But when, when you read the rhetoric, it seems like a 20% tariff on your, on your exports. I don't, I don't understand why West Fraser continues to climb yeah, higher. But of course, it's much bigger than lumber. You see, um, the issue is that uh, I think he wants out. And I think that, uh, no, the president cannot just leave because they need Congress. You know, they have dual responsibility on trade. Uh, the president, through uh, you know, so, uh, through the national security aspect and Congress through, uh, through commerce. But overall, uh, you need Congress to agree to leave NAFTA. Uh, so Congress can say no, uh, but that will make it much more difficult because then it has to go to the Supreme Court and it's one big headache with a lot of uncertainty. But, uh, you know, Congress has authorized the president uh, under the Constitution to use some power uh, to actually impose tariff and quotas. So it can use this power and cause a lot of damage, and it's already happening. And I think that the market is really too kind of relaxed about uh, uh, this uncertainty. And you know what? Already two-thirds of uh, small businesses in Canada are telling us that uh, the NAFTA situation, the uncertainty is impacting their investment decision. Uh, so I think it's coming. And I think that... And not priced in the market so, then? You don't think it's priced in, Benjamin? In worst case scenario there, Benjamin, what happens if, uh, if NAFTA falls apart? The U.S. Well, has made a lot of demands, say they can't be met, uh, the deal falls apart. Yeah, first um, of all, what do you see? Yeah, first of all, uh, it takes six months. So you have to give us six months notice. And then automatically you go to the WTO, World Trade Organization, framework, where the ta- tariff issue is uh, 2 3% as opposed to uh, NAFTA, which is uh, close to zero. Um, not big deal. Uh, 5% depreciation in the Canadian dollar will fix it. The main issue is not tariff, really, as opposed to you know, uh, popular um, opinion. It's really... Uh, Chapter 19, the, the trade, uh, the dispute resolution issue. Uh, you know what? Uh, this dispute resolution basically saved Canada many, many times. It's like a bunch of judges. If you, Canada, disagree with the U.S., you go to them, and then they tell you, okay, you're right, you're wrong, and everybody's happy. And uh, 70% of the time, they were against the U.S. And uh, you know what? Trump is saying, I don't like this guy. I don't like this guy. <laughs> <of>, uh, <laughs> so they are basically, uh, what, they are after killing Chapter 19. And Trudeau is saying, absolutely not, absolutely not. And that's, uh, you know, NAFTA can die over Chapter 19. Yeah, well, again, last time we had you on, you you made the reference to going Japanese. I should have played you some Japan today, but I forgot about that. (laughs) But uh, who knows? Uh, Maybe Canada's going Japanese. Benjamin Tull, Deputy Chief Economist, CIBC World Markets, and a real pleasure to have you with us this morning. I really appreciate your time. Sir, you have yourself a great weekend. Thank you. Bye-bye. Yes. Coming up next, we're going to learn about crowdfunding with Richard Remilliard from Private Capital Market Association of Canada. Stay tuned. Money. Don't go anywhere. There's more great show right after this. Money. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from the AM640 Studios in Toronto.
love of money. Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein. Talk Radio, AM 640. Yes, Hi-Fi Radio, little John Cougar Mellencamp. Richard Remilliard on the phone with us here. He's going to talk to us about crowdfunding. Yes, where the people vote with their wallets on various type of activities. Uh, Richard, I want to thank you very much for joining us today and it's helping a pleasure, Wolfgang. Yeah, and helping educate us on crowdfunding. I've heard the buzzword go around the office. Okay, I'm in the public market, so you know we, we deal with listed securities. Uh, but you're in a different you're in a different camp here. So please share with us what is crowdfunding and, okay. and, and what how you how your company helps facilitate this. Okay, it's a, it's a different space. And when you look at how people go about raising money, uh, how do people raise money? Well, you bum off friends and family, uh, get yourself mortgaged to the hilt, uh, rack up your credit card, all sorts of, or go to the bank. Sell your hockey there cards. There are new ways of doing it. And one of the new ways of doing it is by using social media. And whether or not you've got a not-for-profit endeavor, you're raising money for a community hall. You're trying to put the parish church, uh, get some repairs going, uh, build an ice rink in your town. Or, interesting, and here's where we come to, uh, to business, if you're a small startup business and you're looking to raise capital on either the debt side or the equity side, crowdfunding may be for you. Oh, so what is it? Well, just Google crowdfunding, crowdfunding in Canada, equity crowdfunding, lending crowdfunding, all sorts of stuff will pop up. And what pops up is, is what are called portals. That is facilitators to make it easy for or easier for you to raise capital from the crowd, from everybody out there in Internet land. So, uh, there's two broad categories of crowdfunding. There's what's called donations or rewards crowdfunding, and there's financing, uh, equities, debt, and, and securities. Uh, let's take the first first. So the first first is uh, you've got, oh, I don't know, you want to raise money for a local ice rink, and you've got somebody who will... Uh, supply you with a thousand pens that are that have an interesting design. So you put it out there in the on the web. If you'd like to contribute to my project, I'll send you the first thousand people uh, this interestingly designed pen by a famous local artist. There's your reward. There's your do- and you get a donation. You can get sometimes uh, a tax credit depending on how this thing is structured. The other one, which might be of interest to you and to your readers, is I've got a new company. I've got this crazy idea for a 10,000-year-old lasting light bulb. Wow. Well, I can't get money from the bank. Um, my parents are all tapped out. I've got no, I've got, I'm carrying student debt load. I just graduated from engineering. What am I going to do? Well, go on to equity crowdfunding. There's six, eight portals in Canada right now. And see if you can raise uh, a given amount of money from anybody out there in Internet land. Or you could borrow the money. And there are maybe eight, I don't know, ten of these companies around, uh, some of which are doing considerable business. There's one that's done over $10 bucks worth of business this year alone. 
uh, and and they're competing against traditional providers of financing to early stage companies. How was that? Hmm. Yeah, interesting because early stage companies—the word that always comes to my mind—is yeah. is, is angel investors. So, so are they are they like angel investors, or is, yeah, there, is yeah, what's the difference? That's right, and it's very complementary. Uh, so, angel investors traditionally have been individuals who made a lot of money doing something interesting, cashed out, and they're looking to contribute back to the economy uh, and to keep their hand in the game. Mm-hmm. That's individuals, one by one by one by one by one. And it's kind of catches cash can. It's kind of haphazard. But right now with crowdfunding, uh, there are ways uh, in which, I guess, angel investors would come under the rubric accredited investors, mm-hmm. who, according to securities regulations, have to meet, generally speaking, certain net income and net financial worth targets. Correct. And if they do that, uh, then... Uh, they can participate collectively together in financing earlier stage startup companies. T- tell me something, Richard. How much yeah. money do you think is raised annually in Canada through crowdfunding? Well, here's here. That's a really good question, Wolfgang. Uh, and we got about a minute to go here on this yeah, one. Yeah, uh, we've got probably, and uh, we're just finishing. There's a survey that's out there right now. Uh, that I'm aware of that should be collecting numbers for 2016. But this time, a year ago, it was estimated that just under $200 million would be raised for companies via this mechanism. That sounds like a lot of money. And it is you said $200 million has been raised. $200 million. Yeah. And it's no, That's quite a bit of dope. That's about, how much money did Roots raise, Jack? <laughs> that was $200 million, Yeah, dude, Roots just raised $200 million, but that obviously was through the public market. And they had the green tree, right, but yeah, right, right. around yeah. that. Yeah. It sounds like a lot, right? I well, mean, it's, sort, it's, of, it's sort of. It's got nine figures. 200 million could buy you 200 homes in Toronto. No, right. not even. 200 homes <laughs> in Aurora. Maybe 100. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 100 in Toronto. Now, in the States, in 2015, $36 billion. 36 in the States and two. Wow. Okay, so here's what we got to do because we don't do crowdfunding here, of course, entertainment. No, we got to pay the man. So, Richard, let us do that. Hang around. I'm gonna, we're going to get further into your crowdfunding uh, and what it's all about and how it can help entrepreneurs out there raise some money. Stay tuned right after this. Stay with us. There's more shows still to come. You're listening to Hi Fi Radio from the AM640 studios in Toronto. Money, Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein. Talk Radio, AM 640. Yeah, welcome back. Talking crowdfunding. Why not throw a little village people in there, a little YMCA, make us all feel good this morning. Wakey, wakey, get up and let's uh, learn something here about business. So, uh... Richard, tell me something in terms of crowdfunding, because I, I can see this uh, snowball and, and become a bigger and bigger means of entrepreneurs raising equity and debt. And obviously, if they're raising equity, they have to give up part of their company in terms of in, in return for, of course, the funds from the crowd. Um, but uh, let's just talk about in terms of types of businesses that you have come across that have been successful, raised money through the crowd and then gone public. Can you give any examples of that? I'm just trying to think of one. Uh, what. I'm not sure if it's gone public yet, because this is a very new tool, especially in Canada, 
where we're probably ooh, eight or ten years behind the, the market leaders for crowdfunding, which which are the United States and the United Kingdom. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's uh, it's a bit early, but uh, a lot of people, a lot of your your listeners may have heard of uh, of a company called Pebble Pebble Watch, and this was a uh, out of Waterloo uh, gentleman who raised twelve million dollars to develop his concept. He's now down in uh, in the states in Silicon Valley, the sort of the heart of, of tech financing, mm-hmm. uh, and that that twelve million raise uh, was pretty pretty darn interesting. <laughs> wow, that's another, good. There's another one. Just trying to think of it recently. Uh, oh, a couple of months ago, uh, uh, Impact Finance, which is a startup bank. It's uh, as far as I know in the process of applying uh, for uh, a banking license, raised a million dollars. Uh, to and it's uh, sort of re- socially responsible, environmentally friendly bank out of Montreal, uh, by a couple of entrepreneurs and mm-hmm. million bucks. Wow. wow! And so, what are the benefits then of going crowd versus traditional through a bank or through uh, the, the the public markets that Jack and I are involved in? Yeah, you can you can test your concept. Uh, the joy, uh, the wisdom of crowds, uh, to, not to go into phrase. Yeah, uh, is that if you have a concept, uh, an idea that's worth pursuing, you get to test it on the public market, uh, in the the crowd with, market with 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 the wider public, uh, rather than going out there and uh, raising money from the traditional sources, and then holding your breath and hoping that you've got it right. You can see, you can get market validation from the crowd. People are either going to buy it. Yeah, like a beta test, a nice beta <laughs> test. That's actually interesting. It's, so, so it's Richard, a marketing test. That's right. So, Richard, uh, yeah. talking uh, cost of capital, um, how much? Uh, what what is the cost of capital for crowdfunding? What uh, can uh, investors expect to earn uh, on their on their money? Uh, I think it depends on. Uh, so th- these are for. Uh, uh, debt and equity investors, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're looking for, if you're, if you're on the debt side, uh, the premise and the promise of crowdfunding is that you eliminate the middleman, mm-hmm. bank. Uh, so it's a, short, a form of shadow banking, I guess. Well, uh, crowdfunding sort of uh, brings investors and borrowers together. Yeah, so what right. would the cost be? If, I, if, if and, they want to borrow some money, how much would the cost be to borrow uh, some five-year money? See, I, I think you'd have, to, uh, you'd have to check the different providers. Of course. And a credit, uh, look, a credit card's 20 points, so if you've got yeah, 30 uh, grand of room on your credit card, you can go there for 20 grand or 20 points, but what do you think you can get out of the crowd? And the, chance, the chances are very great, without naming names, uh, that you can get it for considerably less. Isn't that so? so you, yeah, okay, that's good, that's and good, I, Richard. Considerably and I get, less. And yeah. I guess the other point uh, is just around regulation. Yeah. What types of regulation are there around crowdfunding? Oh, that what, that what pro- is a $64 question, and I'm very glad you asked that. And the answer is we're regulated to death. Really? And and the regulatory world is a morass. A total. So I, I take you back to uh, the American versus the Canadian numbers. American, $36 billion Here, just under $200 million. Yeah. So why is that? Well... Trump. Well, it's got to be because of Trump. Reasons, but one of the reasons no? <laughs> is there's four or five separate crowdfunding exemptions or regu- regulatory regimes in Canada. And, and the welter of regulations by different 
provincial securities regulators and the lack of clarity around how much you can you uh, an investor can invest uh, how much the companies let's say uh, let's take companies uh, can raise annually and over a period of time uh, varies uh, the ability to market uh, to advertise varies uh, and and those in the industry uh, I think are finding it challenging navigating if they want to offer something countrywide. So I have a portal, hypothetically, I have a portal. I'm offering uh, Wolfgang's Amazing Ice Cream, which is going to knock the blocks off of Ben and & Jerry's and Laura Seacord. And, oh, i got to talk to the Alberta Securities Commission, the B.C. Securities Commission, the Manitoba Securities Commission, the Northwest Territory Securities Commission. They've all got different rules. Yeah. And it's a dog's breakfast, period, full stop. Yeah. Uh, it's navigable. Yeah. Richard, we, I apologize. Richard, we're running out of time here, my good yeah. friend. Uh, but, look, I guess regulatory bodies do exist, and Jack and I, obviously, in the public yeah. markets are very much under, this, under scrutiny as well. They yeah. do want to try to protect the individual from themselves. question is to what degree, I guess. Eh? But crowdfunding certainly is on the rise, and I, I think it's a good no thing. Problem. It just adds some dy- dy- dynamics uh, to the markets, and certainly we need more entrepreneurs in this country to maintain the job flow. Real pleasure to have you with us, Richard Remillard, Private Capital Markets Association of Canada. An absolute pleasure to have you with us, sir. Absolutely. Call me anytime. We will do that. Uh, coming up next, Camilla Lyon, Managing Director, Head of U.S. Consumer Research at Canaccord, is going to talk about those businesses that have been Amazoned and those who are going to survive right after this. Money. Stay with us. There's more shows still to come. That's what I want. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from the AM640 Studios in Toronto. That's what I want. For the love of money, Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein. Talk Radio, AM 640. Ow, little queen, eh? Hi-Fi Radio, AM 640. Yes, got to give you a little fidelity, don't we? But it's all about business, too. Camillo is on the line with us. Uh, Camillo Lyon is an analyst. He covers the likes of Canada Goose, Columbia Sportswear, Deckers, Dick Sporting Goods, Foot Locker, Lululemon, Michael Kors, Nike, Under Armour, and the likes. Uh, Camillo, real pleasure to have you with us today. So much has changed in retail. Uh, it really, really has. I used to be a retail sales rep. Uh, gee whiz, in my 20s in broadcast, and that's actually why I'm on the air right now. And I used to sell advertising to retailers. And back then, Foot Locker was a powerhouse. Um, the Dick's Sporting Goods obviously has had a very, very good move. Uh, I'm not sure about lately. And Nike back then, of course, had Michael Jordan, and it was the ultimate uh, sneaker on trend. Uh, so uh, please share with us, what are you seeing? What's being Amazoned? What's on trend? What's off trend? How do we make money in your space? Well, Jack, thanks for having me on. Um, I'd love to hear about more more about that uh, that retail advertising. And I think that would, I don't know if I, I know too many people that were in retail advertising uh, in the way of uh, where you're at. Um, since so much has changed, as you mentioned, um, and I think it seems like that pace of change is accelerating. So, you know, I think my group in particular, 
which uh, I would classify as uh, athletic as well as fashion vendors and retailers, um, it has undercome some pressure uh, from the disintermediation of traditional retail channels and the resurgence of, of online. But I think what's more impactful to my space, specifically on the athletic side, on the footwear athletic side, is really uh, all about product. Um, and by that I mean the product that Nike has been putting to market over the last couple of years has been pretty uneventful and pretty underwhelming. <clears throat> and conversely, Adidas has come out of nowhere in the past couple of years, really gained a ton of share. Um, they are the brand that is on trend, um, and that stock has represented that move. So, uh, so Camilla, what is it that uh, Adidas is doing that's so good and, and Nike's just you know missing out on, I guess? Well, it starts with product. You know, it really does start with good, exciting product. I think Nike got a little bit complacent and a little bit comfortable and wasn't continuing down the innovation path. And the consumer today has so many options and so many choices available literally at their fingertips with their phone that, uh, you know, brands in general need to be special all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, we, I got three. I got three kids at home. It's Wolfgang here, by the way, Camilla. Three kids at home, and uh, two of them are boys. And uh, they, they, they actually. My one son once bought a pair of Nike online. I think last year, an orange pair, a red pair. He paid about three hundred bucks when I told Jack in the office. Jack's jaw dropped. That's what he paid for them. But um, now they're buying the Adidas. And it's all about that new logo, the flower logo on the back of the Adidas shoes. So my ten-year-old daughter got a pair of those white gazelles or gazelles, I think they are. So they, they, Adidas seems to be very bringing back retro line. Is that I say correct? Nike's pretty tired too. With I think Michael Jordan is still their number one selling shoe and he hasn't been in the NBA for at least, what, 20 years? Yeah, yeah, unbelievable. Uh, Camilla, yeah. let's switch gears here for a second here. Uh, Lululemon. Um, again, Jack and I are looking for companies that are getting Amazoned, uh, and I subscribe to Bespoke Research, and Bespoke Research even has a couple of lists of stocks, uh, death by Amazon indices they've created, so stocks that are getting killed by Amazon. Uh, so you have a sell rating on Lululemon. Uh, is Amazon's getting in the space of what, uh, athletic wear? Athletic yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, yeah, I mean, look, uh, Amazon will go after any space where there's uh, a margin and growth opportunity, and certainly Athletic Apparel provides that. Uh, and, uh, you know, this Bloomberg came out with an article saying that they were entering the Athletic Apparel space, uh, what, a couple weeks ago, but that wasn't really new news. That was rumored to have already happened or rumored in the summer. Um, but what to me was more, more damaging and potentially more threatening is the fact that Amazon is going to use the same manufacturing partners that Lulu uses. Ooh. And there's no patent protection that they have on their production or the fabrics or their designs. And my guess is that Amazon is going to treat this category and this industry just like it treats every other category, and they're going to go in there, and they're going to compete on price and gain share rapidly via the price lever. And that's just, I think that's just going to compress pricing and margins across the, the category. You know, but the one thing is, you know, Amazon's starting to remind me of, I don't know, great nations that that that, that tobble, the, the, the Roman com- Empire. The Roman Empire really is. How far can this company go? Amazon, like Whole Foods, Athletic Wear, uh, obviously started as a bookstore, and good golly, now it's an everything store. But I, I don't know. At some point, they got to uh, fall in their own weight. But obviously, the trend is your friend, and Jack and I added to the Amazon. I say we trade. own We're, Amazon. We so own yeah. Amazon. We like the name, but at some point, it's got to stop. Um, Canada Goose, you like that stock. Uh, tell us a little bit about it and, and, and what keeps you yeah. excited about the well, goose. Well, let me just give you one point on, on one perspective on the Amazon, just given what you said. Sure. So let's. it's a complex company. It's in every single category and probably going into more, right? But if we just talk about it at a high level, what does Amazon do really well? What have they mastered? What have they cornered the market? Distribution. Transactional ease. 
right? Price and convenience. They are the best transactional retailer. But I would argue they have a long way to go to make that experience a good one. I agree. Okay? That's phase two. Knowing who I know in the industry and my contacts and the, the people I speak with, and this goes back to Lulu, Amazon is intent on becoming the number one fashion online retailer. <laughs> fashion speaks to every, every category. So brands have a choice. They either compete with Amazon or they partner with them. Uh-huh. So in the case of Lulu, clearly they're not partnering with them. They're going to compete. They're going to huh. with them. Wow. That's only, that's only one piece of the story, by the way, on my cell writing on Lulu. You're either with them or you're against them, eh? Look, we want to talk about Canada Goose, but we got to pay the man around here, my good friend. So, yeah. uh, Camille, just stand by, and we will be right back to you on Hi-Fi Radio. Stay with us. There's more shows still to come. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from the AM640 studios in Toronto. If your time to you is worth saving. For the love of money, Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein. Talk Radio, AM 640. I like Bob Dylan. Can he sing? Debatable. But hey, can I sing? Debatable. Camilla, <laughs> Camilla Lyon. The times are changing. That's not debatable. <laughs> it's not, indeed. Uh, Camilla Lyon on the line with us. He's the managing director and head of U.S. consumer research at Canaccord. Uh, Camilla, what really stands out about your your, your lineup of names is, uh, as an analyst, analysts, of course, tend to find stocks that they like and they then put buy or uh, hold ratings on them. But you got a couple of sell ratings on names. And last time an American had a sell on a Canadian stock, they got a lot of flack, and that was Mike Walkley putting a sell rating on BlackBerry, when the stock was, I don't know, uh, higher than it is today, shall I say? Close and he, to 100, and, and yeah. yeah, close. And he was he was darn right with his call. So you got a you got a sell rating, or others would call it a short, I guess, on Lululemon. Uh, although it's a bull market, so you should be neutral or long, not really short in a bull market. But if you got the courage, uh, sure, I guess you could put a short on Lululemon. And you also got the same call on Under Armour, a sell rating on it. So uh, you're obviously bearish on those two names. Yeah, so the Under Armour story, I think, is one that's seen the rise and fall of what was a great brand and that's now fallen on hard times. And they're a victim of, of three three things that have turned against them that were the cornerstone of their success that are now driving their uh, their failures. Um, and that's an over-reliance to the North American market and, consequently, the inability to have a big international presence to offset the slowdown in North America. Uh-huh. America Athletic Apparel, um, <clears throat> the over-indexing to performance apparel, we've transitioned into a lifestyle cycle, Yep. and thirdly, an over-indexing to the sporting goods category in North America, which I think, as we all know, is suffering from the Amazon threat and the disintermediation and bankruptcies and door closures. So those three elements are very difficult to turn around quickly, and as we look to next year, the, what we see is a deceleration of the sales line pretty rapidly and uh, the inability for them to pull back on their expenses to offset the slowing sales. Mm-hmm. So if I'm really being bearish on my prognostications for next year, I could easily skip the scenario where they break even. So what? I think there's more, more room to go uh, and, you know, on the downside and, 
uh, I think those cattles are, are closer to happening than than uh, than not. Hmm. So it's, it's a very negative story, obviously, Camillo. Uh, the stock has fallen dramatically. Uh, for the people that are trying to bottom fish, what would you say to them? Not time yet, and that's the intent of the sale. Um, you know, if if I had a hold braiding, maybe we could discuss is it time? Are you seeing some evidence of of wanting to be bottom picking here? No, that is not in case and, and exactly the case. It's going to get worse before it gets better. And they've had a few big endorsement deals. They've had Jordan Spieth. They've had Steph Curry. I think they paid them with shares. Um, <laughs> what's going on in that uh, in that realm? Pay them in stock, which has fallen, so they won't be happy athletes. No, or or new athletes coming on, right? Well, that's yeah. the issue. I pointed that out in my note that now with the stock being where it is, um, I think it's going to uh, make the uh, the task of signing new athletes a lot harder because they use. Uh, you know, Nike pays in cash. They do their deals in cash. And for the longest time, Under Armour was able to offer stock. And that was great when the stock was going up. Good price. Yep. Not the case anymore. So I don't think, you know, they have an ability to, with a levered balance sheet, a low stock price, declining sales, an inability to offset that with uh, a pullback in expenses, makes it very difficult to operate their business and attract new talent to the brand. What company did William Shatner have stock in, the, the travel company? Uh, Priceline. Uh, Priceline, yeah. And, and, and so he got paid in stock. The stock went down, sold the stock, and then it rallied and made new all-time highs. Oh, he would have been a gazette. Expensive oh, mistake. Oh, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy. So that Under Armour story, boy, should those athletes sell or hold and hope for the turnaround? Hey, let me ask you, another stock you cover, Camillo, because uh, I'm a skier, is Columbia. Uh, is that company back on trend? Because I, I, I find it to be a bit of a, you know, an old brand. Uh, is it doing anything sexy these days? Not really. I think there's better growth stories in that category. You, we, we left the break mentioning Goose, but yeah. we never really got to talk about sure. it. Canada Goose, in my opinion, is the best growth story in retail today. It's The, the best growth story in retail? Wow. What, what do you like about it? Everything. The fact that this the, is... The, the price of the coats? Well, we love that, right? Yeah. <laughs> the quality of the feather? <laughs> yeah. Everything warmth factor, the cool factor. Um, but let's put it this way. The, and this is kind of an interesting data point on a day that Apple releases the iPhone 10. Mm-hmm. There's only one store in retail that is doing a sales per foot metric above Canada Goose, and that's Apple. Right. So Apple does around $5,000 a foot uh-huh. on average. Canada Goose, by my estimations, is doing 3500 to 4000 huh. Wow. So... That tells you that the returns on those stores are incredibly high, and uh, you know this is a this is this is a this is what I equate to um, a product company that is in the in the in the midst of transitioning into a lifestyle brand, very similar to how Land Rover and Range Rover transitioned over the years. So it became it started out as a utilitarian product. It was a it was a truck that was made to work in places that other cars couldn't. Yep. And over time, it became a status symbol and a luxury symbol. And I think that's exactly what Canada Goose is uh, heading towards. Can they get, can they get Amazon? Like Lululemon? <clears throat> Not unless Amazon wants to go into that, that category. Um, and right now, um, I think that the brand is so strong. And look, I'm in New York today, and it's hot. It's hot outside. I've got my Canada Goose vest with me, and it's. <laughs> Are you sweating? Like Are you sweating? I'm definitely kept warm. That's I'll be warmer than I want to be. Oh but man! The point, the point of what I'm saying is, 
you know, I went to their. I'm seeing a Seinfeld episode in here somehow. I got yeah. one in my head. <laughs> yeah. Middle's getting angry. <laughs> yeah. The uh, this store in Soho has been sold out of product uh, for the last couple months of particular styles, and it's been warm. So the weather threat to to this company, I think, is not as fearful because the brand is on such an ascension and it's still in very high demand. You, you know, because the, the Jack handed me a note, a very, very valid point, because Canadian companies have had a challenge breaking into the U.S. market. So you think this one, we're going we're gonna to crack the U.S. market with the goose? Yep. I mean, we're already looking at a, a geographic split that's roughly a third, a third, a third, Canada, U.S., and rest of the world. Isn't that nice? Um, well, good, good. Nice Canadian success. Isn't right? that wonderful? That's nice to hear. That's nice to hear. Uh, Camillo, we have to hop here, my friend. A real pleasure. You're going to come back on with us, man. we got more stuff to talk to you about. Can you do that for us in a few weeks? Sounds good. I'm a professional talker. All right, man. Thanks. You have yourself a great weekend. Camilla Lyon, Managing Director, Head of U.S. Consumer Research at Canaccord, a, a, an analyst who's willing to put a couple of sell ratings on some stocks that he covers. That's it for this week's show, Hi-Fi Radio. I want to thank my partner, Jack Hartle, for coming into the studio, all of our guests, and, of course, most importantly, you, the listener. Have a good one. You've been listening to Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hartle, Portfolio Managers at Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management. For questions about today's show or any money questions you need answered, email Wolf and Jack at WolfgangKlein.com. For the podcast of today's show, go to 640Toronto.com. New shows every week. Hi-Fi Radio, for the love of money. We'll see you next week.